Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. The goal of this podcast is to challenge you to activate your faith in your life. I'm Brandon Reeve, and we're joined by Pastor Christian Newsom of Journey Church International. And today we are going to continue our conversation with our current series, Famous Last Words. What Jesus wants you to know from his seven statements from the cross. Now, Christian, we're four weeks into this series. And as a church, we are seeing people being moved by the simple yet powerful words from Jesus on the cross. You know, as you talk with people and and listen to their feedback, what are you hearing? And has there been any stories that really stand out to you, Christian? Well, Brandon, what I'm what I'm hearing from people who've been in church all their life first is that they've never stopped to listen to what I call the soundtrack of Easter. Uh, right, everyone can draw the picture of Easter, the three crosses on a hill, but not very many people listen to and know the soundtrack of Easter. And if they've if they've listened, They've never stopped to try to understand and apply it. So people have been deeply impacted. People who have been in church their entire life have been deeply impacted by what Jesus' words from the cross mean for them. Uh, And people who are brand new to church uh, have been deeply impacted by what Jesus' words uh, mean to them. I met a man after our first week when we talked about the phrase, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they were doing, um, who made a decision to follow Jesus because he realized, we said, if, you know, if you're, if you're a sinner, you're a first round draft pick. Jesus came for you. Uh, and he came up and introduced himself and just said, you know, your, your church, uh, I know you exist to reach people far from God and right. there's nobody who's further from God than me, but if Jesus will forgive me, I'll follow him. Um, so I think the simple words from the cross, they really preach themselves all we have to do is point people to him. Jesus said in John twelve thirty two that if he's lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. And I think we're seeing that through this series. 25 people uh, in our first few weeks made spiritual decisions. That's Dozens great. have signed up to engage in a spiritual family after hearing what Jesus said to John and Mary. So Jesus' words from the cross, very simple, very brief, very powerful. That's right. So we're, uh, we're going to talk today about this week's message. And the statement, uh, Jesus' last words today are, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, For a few moments on the cross, Jesus was separated from his heavenly Father. Perhaps for many people listening today, Christian, they they may have felt or maybe feel today that they are separated from God. Uh, what are a few, what are a few common reasons Christian may Christians may feel disconnected from God and and what can we do to avoid those times of disconnect? I think the first thing that disconnects us from God is sin. I mean, when when we are living in sin, uh, when we engage in sin, I think our spirit just backs up a little bit, uh, and a gap uh, forms between us um, and God, between us and the spirit inside us that longs to be close to God. So I say, you know, anytime we're disconnected from God, I think we need to step back and say, is there sin in my life that's kind of closing off my heart to what the Spirit of God wants to do? I think people and relationships disconnect us from God. Uh, If we spend most of our relational time with people who have no relationship with Jesus, we, we can't expect those to just naturally overlap. So, you know, if I work at a place where eight hours a day, no one at my work is is connected to Jesus, I'm going to feel disconnected. 
disconnected from Jesus. If I go through a weekend watching uh, my kids play sports or I'm in an activity with friends where no one is connected to Jesus, I'm going to feel disconnected from Jesus. So I think friends and relationships can make us feel disconnected. Um, and busyness, you know, is, is a big disconnect. There are people who love Jesus, people who have friends who are Christians, people who want to be engaged in church. Um, Busyness allows you to feel disconnected from Jesus. And Brandon, I'll be honest with you. There are people who believe that they can really make it in a world of digital Christianity. If they listen to the messages online, you know, if they, if they listen to this podcast, and I hope people are listening every week, you know, if they read their Bible a little bit, they yeah. think, um, if they just kind of fill their head, with Christian stuff that they'll stay connected. But the reality is if you're not coming to church on Sunday morning, if you're not in a small group, if you're not serving with people, if you're not stopping to connect with Jesus and stopping to connect with the people of Jesus, you're going to feel disconnected spiritually, no matter how many sermons and podcasts that you listen to. So I think busyness uh, causes people not just to feel, but to be disconnected. And you say, what do we do to avoid these times of disconnect? Brandon, you got to fight to stay engaged. The reality of Christianity is it's either prioritized or it's passed over. It usually doesn't fall in between those two. If it's prioritized, it makes it into your life. If it's not prioritized, it gets passed over because people who say, you know, I, I engage when I have time, they engage on Easter, they engage on Christmas. But if it's not prioritized, it's passed over. So you got to fight. You have to fight to say yes to Jesus. You have to fight to say yes to the things of Jesus. You have to fight to stay connected to Jesus, but it's well worth the fight. I would uh, I would agree, Christian, man. I can think of times in my life where I have been disconnected from God, and those three exact things were present. There was sin in my life. I wasn't surrounding myself with a spiritual family, as we've talked about, and I was extremely busy. And you put all three of those things together, and that doesn't bode well for your relationship with God. Brandon, I'm fighting busyness right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I told uh, Ryan in the back earlier, so Christian and I, my son, had to come home a few days earlier from spring break than right. my wife and my daughter because my kids have different spring breaks because they go to different schools. One's in high school, one's in middle school. Um, you know, and since we've been home, you know, living at home without a wife. Yeah. With a son who's playing baseball. Um, I told Ryan in the back, since we've been home, we've eaten at Wendy's, Burger King, Chick-fil-A three times, Subway twice, Quick Trip once. I opened the fridge. There was nothing there. I opened the pantry. Right. There was nothing there. And I tell you what, it, it's not only tough to fight to get to the, gro- to get to the grocery store. Um, it's tough to fight to get into my Bible. It's tough to fight to get into the Word. So busyness disconnects people. You have to prioritize Jesus and hopefully buying groceries at some point or, you know, you fall into a rut of unhealthy living. Well, you mentioned in the message this week, Jesus wasn't punished on the cross for us. He was punished as us. In other words, he he became our substitute. As a person who loves competition and, and growing up playing a little bit of college basketball and a little bit of high school basketball, Christian, I hated sitting on the bench. I wanted to be in the game. To be subsed out was was a bad thing. So why is it so important that Jesus became our substitute, and what should be our response today? So I'm going to look at this another way, because uh, like you, I hated I hated being sub-four in things that I love. 
Jesus became our substitute in something we would have hated. Uh, So when I was in sixth grade, I had to get braces because I had such a large overbite that the first thing on my body to introduce itself to people was my front teeth. Like, I think they stuck out further than my nose and I kept breaking them on things. I, I hit them on floors. I, you know, I hit them on walls. Um, you know, I jammed him into the top of my sister's head, diving into a pool one time. She got stitches. I lost my teeth. And I think my parents finally decided, all right, we got to get your teeth fixed, kid. So they took me to the dentist and they had to, they had to pull four permanent teeth before they put my braces on. And they thought since they were still baby teeth that they wouldn't have to knock me out to do that. So they, they tried to pull four teeth in my mouth that weren't loose without knocking me out, without a, without a lot of painkillers, and the pain caused me to pass out. Like, I'm thinking about passing out right now just talking about this. I can feel myself getting lightheaded. Ever since then, if I go to the dentist to get my teeth cleaned, I pass out. Uh, if I go to get a yearly physical and give blood, not not like donate blood, but like give the little tube vial, I pass out. Um, I hit the floor quick because I had such a terrible experience. If you ask me, Christian, what's something that you would want someone to substitute for you in your life? I would say every time I go to the dentist, every time I have to get blood drawn, like if I could never do those things again, I would love to be substituted for. When Jesus stepped in as our substitute, it wasn't to rob us of playing time. It was to stand in our place in the most miserable, excruciating Um, consequence of our life that our sin doesn't just separate us from God, but it deserves to be punished in the perfect justice of God. And Jesus becoming our substitute uh, in that place, um, you know, basically it, it means that Jesus takes my worst and because Jesus takes my worst, I should give him my best. If somebody would go to the dentist on my behalf to get a root canal, I would do about anything for them because it's taking my worst. I I, I would give them almost anything to have that happen. If I never had to give blood again in my life, I would do almost anything. I'd pay a lot of money never to have to go to the dentist again because I don't do well there. So Jesus is saying, I will take the worst experience that is a natural consequence of the way you've lived your life. I will, I will do that for you. All I ask is that you follow me. So because Jesus takes my worst, my response should be to give my very, very best. Um, and I think it's only because we probably haven't experienced crucifixion um, in reality that we don't understand how much we should give Jesus in response, unfortunately. Well, now I completely understand your fear of Dennis. I get yeah, it now. Makes more sense now, right? You talk about it. now. Now it makes sense. Uh, Listen, the first century authors, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all talk about the darkness that covered the land from noon until 3 p.m. on the day Jesus was crucified. Christian, if you don't mind, take a moment and discuss the physical reality of that darkness, like what was going on at that moment, and then unpack for us the spiritual symbolism of darkness. Like, what does it mean, and, and why should it matter to us today? Sure. So we talked about this a little bit in the message, but but the reality of the darkness— was that was that God had had turned his face away from Jesus because on the cross and it and it wasn't you know a lot of parents think well I I wouldn't want to watch my kids be in pain either that wasn't the rea- that wasn't why God turned away God didn't turn away 
because it was too unbearable for him to watch. God turned away because in that moment, the sin of the world, you say, well, that's a lot. Okay, well, just take the sin of my life. Right. In that moment, every sin that I've committed was laid on the body of Jesus. So God seeing Jesus, he saw the sin of my life, the sin of your life, the sin of the world laid on him. And and because of God's holiness, he couldn't look on him. So as God turned his face away in his heavenly home from Jesus on the cross, it was almost as if creation groaned at how the creator of the universe um, was upset and had been disconnected from Jesus uh, in that three hour period. You know, when we look at Genesis chapter one, it says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, Mm -hmm. but the earth was without form and void and darkness reigned. Darkness in scripture, you know, it, it conveys the thought that things are in a state of chaos and God yet, God is not yet in control. When the ten plagues were uh, were on Egypt, um, one of the plagues was the plague of darkness. It was a darkness that could be felt. There was a reality that God had stepped away. God, who provides light through the universe and light to our soul, you know, through our conscience and through our spirit, that God had stepped away, and the darkness was so thick that you could feel it. Darkness is often symbolic with judgment. In scripture. So what we see when we see that three hours of darkness on the cross, it was as if God's judgment came upon the world through Jesus and to Jesus for a time of what would be pure chaos, the sin of the world um, placed on the shoulders of the savior of the world. And God had to judge him and step away from him relationally for that moment in time. So that's what that darkness symbolized. And thank goodness that three days later, Jesus walked out of the tomb and the light of the world burst back onto the universe. Christian, listen, we learned today that Jesus's crucifixion hurt him and healed us. Isaiah 53, five states, by his wounds, we are healed. How, how does this, how does the thought that Jesus died for us as our substitute, not just heal us, but motivate us spiritually. So I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago, Brandon, who, um, who spent a little time in the same town that I grew up in. He played on a summer ball team, uh, in Southeast Ohio. And he, we were just randomly talking about as every generation does, right? How much harder our generation had. Right. <laughs> we were just talking about kids these days and how much harder it was in our generation because every generation does that. And he was telling me a story about a baseball team that he played on summer ball team, uh, where, you know, you had probably these 20 kids between the ages of 16 and 18 who were kind of living in a dorm together with their coaches over the summer. And how structured it was. And he said they had a rule that by 10 a.m. they were in the parking lot by, or by 10 p.m. they were in the parking lot. By 11.30 p.m. they had to be inside like lights out. Okay. And he said one day everyone was there but two guys at 11.30. So the coach took the, uh, the rest of the team except those two, loaded them up in the vans, took them to the field and left a note for the two that said basically meet us at the stadium. He said they got to the field and they ran for 90 minutes before the two guys showed up. And when the two guys showed up, the coach made them sit in the bleachers and watch the team run for another 90 minutes. And then they all got in the vans and went home. So the team paid the price. So the team paid the price. And he told me those two not only were never late again, they were always way early, not because they were punished, but they saw someone else punished for them. 
and it motivated them to never repeat that mistake. When we see Jesus punished for us on the cross, you know, the apostle Paul wrote about this where he said, some people see it as a license to sin. That proves that their heart doesn't understand what happened. Because when we see people punished for what we did and we take it to the heart, it motivates us, not out of fear that we think God's going to reject us, but it motivates us. I never want him to have to do that again for me. So I will do my very, very best. That's what Jesus as our substitute should mean to us as a motivation. I will never allow him to be punished for what I did. I will do better because if that is the result of it, I don't want him to have to endure that. That is a really good reminder for us all. Um, Christian, you made an observation in your mer- uh, in your message about Simon of Cyrene. It was a fantastic uh, a story and, and r- very relatable to a, our podcast today. He was the only person to hand hand off a cross to Jesus. Uh, for our podcast listeners, just help us understand who was this Simon that we're talking about. Sure. So Simon of the Cyrene is mentioned in several of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible. Um, so Simon of Cyrene. So we find out Cyrene is in modern day Libya. Okay. So Simon is a uh, he's a guy from northern Africa who is in Jerusalem with at least his sons, Rufus and Alexander, mentioned being there with him uh, to celebrate Passover. Every Jewish male was required at this point in history, at least once in their life, to go to Jerusalem on pilgrimage to celebrate the Passover. And he was there doing that with his family, and he just happened to run into Jesus uh, on a street in Jerusalem that you've probably stood at like I have walking into the – if you walk from the Damascus Gate Mm -hmm. down to the Western Wall, you pass one of the stations of the cross that symbolizes – this moment. Um, and as Jesus stumbled along from the long night that he'd had, from the beating that he took, uh, one of the one of the Roman soldiers uh, told Simon, take the cross off his back and carry it up the hill for him because they didn't think Jesus was going to make it. And when he got there, he took the cross off his back and he gave it to Jesus. So, I, you know, I made the point. Simon is the only person in history to take a cross off of his back and place it on Jesus' back. But symbolically, anyone who has met Jesus And come into a relationship with God through Jesus has had to take the cross of their life, the cross of their sin, the cross that bears the consequences of their separation from God. And we've had to ask Jesus to lay down on it and die our death so that we could live um, eternally one day with God, but in this lifetime trying to pursue God, try to lead our families to God. So that's who Simon was, and that's uh, that's what Simon did. It's a powerful, powerful picture. Right. The picture is still imprinted in my mind. Uh, and just the fact of the weight of the cross itself was was heavy. But then you pour onto that the weight uh, spiritually of our sin. Um, just an interesting question for you, Christian. On a scale of 1 to 100... How much would you say your sin weighs on the cross? So at this point in my life, like I think the answer would probably be a million, mm. right? If you're saying how, how much, how much does your sin weigh? Yes, right. you take that beam off your back and you place it on Jesus. When I was in high school, and I was one of the few kids in my school that really was engaged in church and fellowship of Christian athletes and reading my Bible and not partying and not drinking and smoking and cussing, I, I probably would have said, you know what, my cross, like on a scale of 1 to 100, if 1 is it doesn't weigh very much and 100 is like the worst sinner in the world, my cross probably weighed like 10 or 15. When I got into college and began to understand a little bit more of who Jesus was and what he did for me, you know, I, I probably would have said my cross weighed 50. 
Like I'm probably in that in that mid tier. I mean, if if one is somebody who doesn't really have a lot of sin in their life and 100 is somebody really, really bad, I'm probably 50. But when I learn, like I have through this series, that the standard is pass or fail, it's perfection or imperfection. It's like, man, my, like my, my sin weighs more than anyone else's sin in the world. Like there's nobody's sin that weighs more than mine because I, I am so imperfect and I'm so sinful. And, and as you answer that question, you know, how much does your sin weigh? Your answer to that question really tells you how much you understand about grace. Because if you say, you know, my sin weighs 10, 20, my sin weighs 30 or 40, then what you're saying is you have a very light understanding of grace because you think you only need 10, 20, 30, you know, on a scale of grace. If you say my my sin weighs 100, what you're saying is my sin is heavy. And your understanding of Jesus taking that from you makes you much more grateful for who he is and what he did. So that's a great question. And just being able to unpack that mentally allows us to understand how much do we really grasp grace. You know, Simon happened to be in the right place at the right time to have a brief yet impactful encounter with Jesus. Uh, this week, we'll be at work or in the ball fields or doing doing school functions. What can we learn from Simon that should inspire us as we encounter others this week, Christian? Yeah, first is going to be his personal commitment, Brandon. Here's, here's, a, uh, here's probably an Orthodox Jew who saved four years and made a long, dangerous trip from northern Africa to Israel because he wanted to be closer to God. So his personal commitment to us says we got to go the extra mile, we got to sacrifice, and we've really got to make following Jesus a priority. I think his family commitment inspires me. Not only was he there, but he was there with his boys. What must it have been like for his boys, who we find out later end up as missionaries and church planners in Rome? Um, as they watch their dad carry the cross of Jesus and then hand that cross to Jesus. And then we believe from Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13, they, they later experience Pentecost together. They later move to Antioch to plant the first Gentile church together. Then they engage in sending Paul over the world. Uh, I, you know, I'm, so I look at him and I say his personal commitment inspires me. His family commitment inspires me. And then his ministry and his missions commitment inspire me, right? I mean, if you follow his story, here's probably a, a black dude, right, from Northern Africa who helps a Jewish dude from Israel carry his cross, and then he goes to plant a church to reach a bunch of white dudes um, in Europe. I mean, he, you know, here, here's a black guy who embraces the faith of a Jewish Messiah and who is inspired to go reach a bunch of white people in Rome. I mean, this guy gets personal ministry and global ministry. He realizes that who Jesus is and what Jesus did is so much more important than race, than creed, than nationality, than upbringing, than our past. He just says, I'm all in for Jesus, and he helps others be that way as well. It really motivates me. Simon is a, an incredible inspiration for us all um, as we unpack that story just a little bit more. Christian, as we wrap up uh, today, uh, I, I know these statements just keep getting better and better, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. Uh, tell us what's coming up with uh, with uh, podcast next week, Famous Last Statements of Jesus. Yeah, so on Palm Sunday, we're going to look at Jesus' statement to the thief on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And we're going to talk a little bit about eternal life, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, forgiveness again, and we're going to motivate some people to make sure everyone they know 
will one day be with Jesus in paradise. Well, we're looking forward to it. And again, we want to thank you guys for listening each and every week. We pray that our conversation today makes your conversation with your friends at small group or with coworkers or with your family at home or wherever you're at this week a little bit easier and more impactful. We'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. As you heard in this episode, Christian answered several questions from some of our listeners. You might have a question you'd like to ask as well. To submit that question, all you need to do is send us an email to activate at takethejourney.cc. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes. Also, share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.